Morning. You know, I'm not sure if I have ever told you all about this. Um, and I feel like this morning, in light of, you know, the message, why do we practice church discipline, I, I just need to say this. Some people think I am an intimidating person. I don't get it. Okay. Um, apparently, um, I, my resting face, you know, when I'm not actively thinking about what my face needs to look like is sort of an angry resting face. Okay. Oh. Does that look, does that look angry? <laughs> and also, uh, so take, I'll just put all these things together. A somewhat angry resting face, um, a misconception of being intimidating, and then also maybe some passion because I, mean, I love preaching and, and it's what one of the things that God has called me to do in my life is to preach his word. And, and sometimes I get excited and passionate about that. And all of that sometimes can be misunderstood as anger. Particularly when we're talking about church discipline. I want you to know, I'm, I'm not angry at most of you. <laughs> Actually, I'm not angry at any of you. Okay? I'm not angry at you. And so this morning during the message, if it, if it looks like I'm angry, I'm not angry at you. I, I, I love you. I mean, you're my church family, you know, and, 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 and I love you. And I, and I want the truth to penetrate your life and to be present in the way that you live. And I want you to understand and grasp and live the truths of God's word. That's what I want for you. And so that's, that's what I'm doing this morning as I, as I preach the word. I'm not angry at you. Please don't see anger in me today, okay? I just, I really feel like you need to understand that, okay? So let's all stand and join hands. No, just kidding about that part, okay? I am kidding about that. Sorry, something really funny just popped in my head. I'm not even going <laughs> to. Friends are friends forever. The Lord is the Lord of them. Okay. I said it. I said it. I went there. <laughs> now, now, let's moving forward. And you understand I'm not angry at you and that I love you. But we are going to talk about why we practice church discipline. And I'm, and I'm going to give you the, the reason right at the beginning. And then we're going to unpack it and look at it in different ways. But. Uh, the reason why we practice at Redeemer Church, why we practice church discipline, is actually bound up in our mission statement. Who knows what the mission of Redeemer Church is? Okay, you know the, all the stuff I said about being angry? I'm about to take it back. <laughs> Somebody look it up on your phone real fast. What? Hmm? To build redemptive communities of gospel-centered people. Okay? Gospel-centeredness. Being gospel-centered. That's why Redeemer Church practices church discipline. Because in order to be centered on the gospel, for Redeemer Church and for us as a body to be, to be centered on the gospel, we must practice Church discipline. And I hope that we'll see that today. I want to unpack that through a couple of passages of Scripture. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. 
You thought I was going to say 11. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to ask you to forgive the cough drop in my mouth. It's either hear me moving that around or hear me hacking up a lung. So we don't want to do that. Hebrews chapter 12. Beginning in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. One of the first reasons that we practice church discipline is bound up in the reason that God disciplines us. Did, did you hear what it said in Hebrews? That God disciplines those whom he loves. Those that he calls sons. In fact, if you have in your life experienced God's discipline, that is a very good thing. In, in, in a way that, that we probably can't quite imagine, when we experience the Lord's discipline, we ought to rejoice. Because you know what it means? It means God loves you and considers you His son, His child. You are indeed a child of God, loved by God, when God disciplines you. When you experience His discipline. And, you know, as, an, as a parent myself, that is that is and was my desire in disciplining my children. I wanted to always dis discipline them in love for their good because they were my sons. And I, and I, and I, and I loved them and, and I wanted what was best and right for them. But um, the, the sad side of that is I'm, you know, I, I'm... I'm a frail creature of dust, and I know that I did not always discipline my, my children rightly, perfectly. I definitely made some mistakes. I'm sure that there were times that my discipline was, was too much. Sometimes my discipline was not enough. Sometimes it was inconsistent. Okay? And, and gosh, maybe sometimes it was motivated by something other than love, like maybe, well, you know, how dare you speak to me that way? I'm your father, you know, and, and that's not really out of love. That's more like out of pride, okay? And, 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 you know, unfortunately, that happened. But my desire was always to discipline them in love for their good 
so that they could become, um, you know, godly young men someday. Okay, so that was that was my desire, and that and and, and I and, and I did that imperfectly, but God, who is perfect, does that in our lives perfectly. So we practice church discipline to show love. We do it to show love. First, we do it as a reflection of God's love to show God's love. Because God says he disciplines to show his love. He disciplines to show that these whom he disciplines are his own. Again, that, that's a, that is a joyous thing. It, it is something we ought to you know, rejoice over. I, and and I, I understand that that is difficult. I, I, you know, if I if I go back into the realm of parental discipline, you know, I think I may have shared that that um, my uh, my mom, who you know, no, I'm not at all indicating. Do not hear me say that my my parents were abusive or anything like that. Not at all. I'm sure I got much less than I deserved in the area of discipline. But I do remember one time my mom spanked me with the orange Hot Wheel track. Okay. <laughs> Man, that hurt. Okay? I mean, whoosh, I mean you, you, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it had whip action. Okay? And man, that, whoo, that hurt. I did not go away, you know, thank you for that spanking, mother dear. I, you know, I, I so, yes, yes, I got whipped for the Hot Wheel track. I, you know, no, I mean, I didn't rejoice. It was, I hated it. Okay? Um, did I deserve it? Probably. I, but I didn't necessarily come away rejoicing at that moment. But looking back, am I glad that my parents disciplined me? Yes. In fact, I wish they would have disciplined me a little more. Because I, you know, there, there, there are, you know, there are flaws in my character that are my fault. I own them. Okay, I own the flaws in my character. Please do not hear me saying it's all my parents' fault. It's not. It's mine. I own it. I own my character flaws. They're they're all mine. Okay, but you know, I I just wonder, you know, if if things might have been different, if I might have been more aware of the flaws in my own character, if I'd have been disciplined more. I think about things that I did that my parents didn't know about or, or went soft on me or whatever. I, you know, I look back. I'm grateful for the discipline that my parents uh, showed me. But I honestly wish it was more now because I appreciate what that discipline did in my life. Okay? I do. I appreciate what it did in my life. And that's how it is when God disciplines us. Maybe at that moment it's hard for us to rejoice. But gosh, know this. It's because God loves you and cares about you and, and longs for you to live as his son or daughter. And so that's why he disciplines you. And you will someday, I hope, love and appreciate and maybe even rejoice over that discipline. And wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be fantastic if at the moment of the discipline we were able to rejoice? I think that ought to be the goal. That, that's the desire. like... In the moment that God is disciplining, disciplining us for our sin, for our wrong behaviors, our wrong thoughts, our wrong words, our wrong attitudes, whatever it is, our selfishness, our pride, whatever it is that God is in the midst of disciplining us for, wouldn't it be awesome if our immediate response was, God, thank you 
for protecting me and loving me in this way to discipline me. So because that's God's attitude toward discipline, that's also our attitude when we must discipline within the church. It's out of love. We discipline because we love. And it's, you know, God disciplines because of his love for the church and his love for the individual. And we discipline inside the church, within the church, for our love of God, our love for the church, and our love for the individual. Okay? That, so it's, it's for love that we discipline. I also want to draw your attention to another passage of Scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's also very... informative for us. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 1... Oops, sorry. And just real quickly, let me give you the, before we read this passage, let me give you kind of the, the context. Um, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and there is a man within the church at Corinth who is, uh, he's in a sexual relationship with his stepmother, okay, his, his father's wife. And, and at best, at best, the church at Corinth is ignoring that situation and feeling pride in their overall moral superiority. Or at worst, they're feeling pride over what he's doing. It's, it's a little bit unclear. Uh, either way, the church at Corinth doesn't recognize the wrong and has this sense of arrogance and pride over their own moral superiority. And it's unclear if whether they're saying, oh, look at look, our freedom in Christ. We can even have a guy, you know, sleeping with his stepmom because, because it doesn't matter. We have freedom in Christ. You know, either, either it's that at worst or at best. It's like, you know, they just kind of turn a blind eye to that and say, look at how good the rest of us are. One of the others going on. And so Paul writes this in, in 1 Corinthians 5 beginning in, in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And, it, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, 
the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idol, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, idolater reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what, I, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, not those in, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil persons from among you. It's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty sobering passage of scripture, isn't it? I mean, there is some really hard language Paul uses in reference to this one. For, for really, for, first of all, for, for the one who is in sin, and then for the church as a whole. And did you hear Paul's instructions to the church about how they are to treat this one they are disciplining? Deliver him over to Satan. Have nothing to do with him. Do not associate with him. Put him out. Okay? Man, those, that is, that's hard. Okay, that's, that's extreme. But yet, that's the instruction that Paul gives to the church, to the one that they are to discipline. And you know, I, I know that handing him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his his soul might be saved. I, like I, I know that might seem a little bit confusing to us. Uh, I'm going to suggest that here's the way you need to think about that. The realm outside of the church, that is Satan's realm. Okay? That's Satan's realm. And when they say deliver him over to Satan, okay, uh, I don't want you to think of this as, oh my goodness, did they like do some kind of human sacrifice to, to the devil or, you know, I mean... Or was it just like, you know, did they pronounce, you know, that they wanted, did they pronounce that they actively wanted Satan to take this one? No, no. They're just saying, put him out of the church to the realm that's outside the church, who, for, for now, which is Satan's realm. And the difficulties that he experiences will hopefully lead him to repentance. Hopefully will lead him to repentance. That's just simply with that delivering him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul might be saved. It, it, it was, it was, and as all discipline is intended to be, redemptive. Ultimately, the goal is for that one being disciplined to repent, to turn to God, to turn from their sin and turn to God. That is always, always the main purpose for Church discipline. And we even see that here. But what I hope that you'll see is that one of the reasons that we practice church discipline is for the good of the one being disciplined. For the good of the one being disciplined. One. Now think about this guy in Corinth. He is, he's, he has a sexual relationship with his stepmother. His father's wife. 
Okay? And let's all just realize right now that's creepy. Right? Okay? I mean, let's, I, that's sort of the elephant in the room right now, isn't it? It's fine if you just kind of go, oh, you know? Because that's creepy. All right? I, we, we, we recognize that to be creepy. That sounds like, you know, like a Hollywood, you know, TV show or something. I don't know. Okay? But here's the deal. He thinks it's fine. Right? I mean, he wouldn't be doing it. Right? He thinks it's fine. He thinks it's fine. He thinks that God approves of his behavior. The man needs to know that it's sin. The man needs to know that it's wrong. And so it is for his good that he is disciplined because he is being shown the, the sinfulness of his ways. And so within the church, when there is one who has is, who is fallen into sin and refuses to see the sinfulness, and when called upon to repent, does not repent, they need to be disciplined so that they can know, be convinced, be shown clearly that this behavior, this attitude is sin. I mean, what would it be for the church to, as they were doing in Corinth, ignore that? Could you say, could they say they loved him when they let him continue in this sin and so offend God and taint the church and ruin the witness of the body and be a hypocrite? Could, could the church say they loved him? Were they acting for his good in ignoring that, that unrepentant sin? The answer to that is no, they're not acting for his good. And no, they don't love him. That's why Paul says, confront, discipline him. He needs to know that this is sin because it is good for him to know that this is sin. But also that he might be led to repentance. Let's 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 be honest. And and scripture certainly bears this out. But we're most likely to turn from our sin when someone confronts us. When we get caught and get confronted in sin. Think about David and his sin with Bathsheba and then and his sin in murdering her husband Uriah. Remember how all that went down? Okay? If you're a regular, you know, churchgoer, Bible reader, you, you probably know that. But the short story, I'll just really quick. David saw this attractive woman taking a bath on the roof of her house. He was on the top roof of the palace, so his roof's higher than her roof. He sees everything, uh, you know, calls her to the palace. She comes. They do the deed, and then and then to cover it up, calls Uriah, her husband, home from war, so that he can, you know have intimacy with his wife to cover up anything that might have happened so that but he refuses and so David has him killed. And then Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, Oh, David, this horrible thing has happened. This man who has so much has uh, taken uh, the 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 lamb of his neighbor who has very little and he's taken it, stolen it from him when he already has much. And David's like, oh, man, no, that I'm not going to stand for that. We're going to punch that man. Tell me who the man is. And Nathan says, David, you're the man. Okay, David's caught. 
Okay? He's confronted. Now, you know what David does? He confesses and he repents. Okay? But he got caught and he was confronted. <laughs> okay? Um, being caught in our sin and being confronted by others in our sin really does lead us to and promote repentance. And so disciplining in, in 1 Corinthians 5 and in our disciplining within the church, it's for that person's good because it points out the sin that they need to see and it leads them, hopefully, toward repentance. So not only do we discipline as an expression of love, but also we discipline for the good of the one being disciplined. And then we also discipline for the good of other believers because they see the dangers of sin. Think about it. Every individual believer at the, in the church of Corinth immediately had a picture of the danger of sin. When Paul writes them and says, okay, here's what this guy's doing. It's wrong. And here's what you need to do. You need to turn him over to Satan. You need to have nothing to do with him. You need to withdraw fellowship. Do not associate. Man, don't even eat with him. Have nothing to do with him. Man, they see the danger of sin. Every believer. Every believer. In that congregation sees the danger of sin. When it's exposed in that way. When discipline inside the church is exercised. It, it, it becomes a guard for the good of every believer in the church. Okay, so it's, it's not only, though, for the good of the one being disciplined and for the good of each individual believer. It's also good for the church as a whole, the health of the church as a whole. We discipline, we discipline inside the church for the health of the church. And, and Paul uses an illustration of leaven to describe this. He says that leaven, small bit of leaven in the dough, moves through the entire lump of dough and leavens the whole thing. And what Paul is saying is that sin inside the church, if it goes unchecked, it it permeates throughout the whole congregation and and has the ability to corrupt the whole the whole thing, the whole body. That sin has this kind of pervasive activity to it. And so if this sin in, in Corinth goes undisciplined, unchecked, won't be long till others within the congregation behave in similar ways. And the church is not a healthy congregation. So for the sake of the church as a whole, for the sake of the health of the congregation, we practice church discipline. And you know, and, 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 and here's and here's another part of this. Because Paul also gives some instruction in this whole metaphor of leaven. 
You know, this whole metaphor of leaven, he, he, he actually makes reference to Christ as the Passover lamb and the Passover celebration. And, you know, the Passover celebration is you eat unleavened bread and the Passover lamb, which has been sacrificed and cooked. And that, that Passover meal was a celebration of God's provision in passing over Israel and, and taking the firstborn of all the Egyptians and then their subsequent release from bondage in Egypt. Okay, But it's also a foreshadowing of Christ's coming and being the perfect Passover lamb that takes away our sin once and for all. Okay, So you have all that imagery in there. And now Paul changes that imagery up a little bit and he says now in the Passover meal you have the lamb, which is Christ. And you have the unleavened bread, which is the church. Says so the in in First Corinthians five he likens the unleavened bread to the church. He says we've got Christ, the Passover Lamb, who who has been sacrificed, and now we are the bread without leaven, leaven being sin. So we're, we we are that's that's what we're to be. We're to be that unleavened bread. So let's not let's not accept the old leaven of, of, you know, sexual immorality and malice and, and evil. But let's put on, let's be that new leaven that isn't really leaven, that new lump of dough that has no leaven in it, that is, that is characterized by holiness. In other words, God is saying, in Christ, I have gathered people to be my own. They're the church, and here's what they look like. Here's what they look like. And when they don't look like this, then they need to be reminded and made to look like this. Because this is what I have saved them to be. This is who I made them to be. That's why we discipline. It, see how that is so centered on the gospel? Because the gospel, the gospel is about transformation and change. When we when we come to faith in Christ through repentance and believing the gospel, then we're changed. That's what the Bible teaches. We are changed. We are new creatures, new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. That's the, that, that is the truth of the gospel. But if we claim to be in Christ, but, but there is no change then we misrepresent the gospel. We're not centered on the gospel. If we're going to be centered on the gospel, then we will be a body of believers, a community of faith who demonstrate gospel transformation, gospel change in our lives. That's, what it, that's, why, <laughs> that's why that discipline, church discipline is so much a gospel-centered activity. We also discipline for the corporate witness of the church. Think back to what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, it's actually been reported to me. Okay, get that? In other words, this is out. This is out. This is common knowledge. Because it's been reported. It's actually been reported to me. That there is a sexual immorality going on in the church of a type that isn't even tolerated among pagans. 
Let me paraphrase what Paul said. Everybody knows you all are worse than pagans. That's what he's saying. It's, it's actually been reported to me. It's out. Everyone knows that there's a sexual immorality there that not even the pagans tolerate. Everybody knows you all are worse than pagans. That, that's what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. How do you think that affects the corporate witness of the church? Do people want to hear about how the gospel can change their lives? When that's going on, not a rhetorical question. Do people want to hear about gospel change when that's going on? No. Does the church at Corinth have much of a witness? No. In fact, I would say they have an anti-witness. Okay? I, I, I didn't plan this, so this might not work, but... Uh, Jason, I need your help. Okay. I am the average pagan in Corinth, and Jason is a member of the church at Corinth, and he's going to try to witness to me. Go ahead. Hello, average pagan. Hi. Do you like to hear about Jesus? Are you from that church at Corinth? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, thanks. Sit down. Um, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Of course, the unbelieving world is laughing at them. Because here's what they see. They're teaching about transformation. It's not happening. Ha, huh, it's all a lie. They've bought a lie. They, oh, what they have is powerless. It's useless. And gosh, they're denying themselves and they're doing all this stuff for absolutely nothing. Because what they have has no power. I don't think I'm exaggerating. Do you think I'm exaggerating? I mean, if you do, say so. I don't. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's exactly what happens to the witness of the church, the community, when there's this blatant, unrepentant sin going on and the church ignores it. Now, we practice church discipline for the sake of the corporate witness of the church. Here, what, what needs to happen is that the world sees a people who are totally transformed by the gospel. And they know, the world knows that, that these people who are very different attribute it to this guy, Jesus, who is their king and this gospel that's about him. That's what people need to see and know. That's what the corporate witness of the church is. And so when anyone who is part of the church comes to them and begins to speak about Jesus, speak about the gospel, they immediately get a hearing because they know, like it or not, like it or not, these people have been changed by what they believe. That's the corporate witness of the church. That's why we practice church discipline. And then finally, we discipline for the glory of God to reflect His character. If you were going to pick 
one character trait of God, and I know this is kind of dangerous because I'm not going to suggest that there's one character trait that is more important in God's nature than any other, okay? So don't hear me say that, but just, just, just how we think. If I said name one character trait of God, what's the first one that comes to your mind? Okay, I heard two things, love and holiness, loving and holy. And I want you to know that's exactly what I anticipated you'd say. And what did Hebrews 12 say about discipline? Shows God's love. And what does it also say in implied, I think, in 1 Corinthians 5? Why do we discipline? To display God's holiness. Because God is holy, and we want to display that holiness. <coughs> reflect his character. So when we reflect his character of love and to reflect his character of holiness, we practice church discipline. Because it does reflect those character traits in God. And it brings honor and glory to him because the church is being what he intends it to be. The church is protecting what God has called it to be. When we practice church discipline, we are protecting what God has called us to be in Christ. What he has made us to be in Christ. So we practice church discipline in order to glorify him and demonstrate his character. I just want to review very quickly. Why do we practice church discipline? Well, we practice church Church discipline, because it's an expression of love. We, number two, we, we, we discipline for the good of the one being disciplined. Number three, we discipline for the good of other believers because they see the danger of sin. And fourth, we discipline for the good of the church as a whole. Fifth, for its health. Fifth, we discipline for the corporate witness of the church. And then sixth, we discipline for the glory of God as we reflect his character um, in his nature. Now, is, the, is there more to say about church discipline? Absolutely. I didn't even begin to answer the question of what that process looks like. You know, I didn't even begin to talk about that. That's, that's honestly a whole other sermon or two of, of what the process of church discipline looks like. Okay? Um, and, uh, and then, for what do we discipline? I mean, you know... How many of us are going to come back next Sunday and say, I lived without sin. I was perfect this last week. I, I, I really don't think any of us are going to be able to do that. I mean, maybe. I doubt it. Okay. So, does every single one of us need to be disciplined next Sunday? You know, what... For, for what do we discipline within the church? You know, what is that? What does that look? And are there levels of discipline? You know, all of those are questions that 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 are answered in the scriptures, <laughs> and we will get to them in the life of Redeemer Church. Okay, but today I just simply wanted to answer the question: Why we do it? Why do we do it? And and biblically, that's why. Okay, the next the next steps are: How do we do it? And when do we do it? You know, we answered the why, now the how and the when are, are yet to come. So how do we respond? How do we respond today? Well, I think first of all we respond with maybe an attitude change about discipline. 
maybe um, for whatever reason, we might look at discipline as a negative thing. It's not. Discipline is a loving, redemptive activity. And maybe the first area of application for you and I today is to change our attitude about discipline. To welcome it in our lives. Okay? And then also, I think there is an area of warning in this message. I think a a way for us to apply what we've heard today is to be warned. Just to be warned. To guard against sin in our lives as Christ followers and part of the church. Lest we be disciplined by the church. And discipline in the ultimate way. Again, you know, discipline happens at varying levels. You know, I, I, I want to tell you that, you know, in a sense, in a sense, I get disciplined and I discipline in the church every week, every Sunday night from about six to eight. And Abel and Joe know what I'm talking about, right? Our life transformation group, our LTG. Discipline happens there, okay, because we do call out one another for our sin and are called to repentance. And the great thing is so far we've all heeded that call. (laughs) So no further discipline has been required. But that is discipline. And it has so it happens it happens at other times. There are other wins. That it happens, okay? And again, like I said, that's a whole other message. But I think that an area of application is to be warned. So maybe there's an attitude change that needs to take place. Maybe there's a warning that we need to heed. And then I think maybe another application is to make sure you're in a group of people that will lovingly regularly discipline you, okay, like a life transformation group, some type of accountability group. If that's something that you don't have now, talk to me after the service this morning. I want to get you connected in a life transformation group. Um, You need it. You need a group of people who will discipline you on a regular basis. You do. We all need that. It's the beauty of being part of the church. I want you to bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your loving discipline in our lives. And God, I pray that you would bring us to a place where we rejoice when you discipline us. Because you're showing us that you love us and that we are your children. God, may that be our attitude. And God, may our attitude about discipline in general be biblical. God, may we see discipline as a loving redemptive activity in our lives. And God, may we welcome it when it comes directly from you or through our brothers and sisters in the church. God, I pray that we would that we would heed the warning that we've heard this morning to guard ourselves against sin, to protect by our attitudes and our behaviors the integrity of the church, that we would continue to be what Christ has died to make us to be. And God, may we submit ourselves to the discipline of the church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.